Hello, this is Gigabit Nation, Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I want to thank you for taking time to be with us today as we provide useful information and insights to help public, private, and nonprofit organizations get more, better broadband everywhere it needs to be in the U.S. Probably one of the most important elements of the broadband deployment is the pilot project. Now, most IT folks likely view the pilot as part of the deployment where you test how well the technology works. But the pilot actually serves as a very important business and marketing uh, tool as well. Now, pilots can be expensive, though they do obviously provide some great value for the investment. But there's great news. If you're a little concerned about the expense of doing a pilot and doing the pilot right, And that good news is that the FCC has recognized the value of pilot projects to the overall success of broadband projects and are preparing to help you out with a little funding of your pilot. That is, if you have a good plan for your pilot that is both creative, uh, practical, and obviously shows good promise for the success of your overall broadband project. Our guest today is Alyssa Clemens-Roberts, who is the Manager of Industry Affairs for Rural and Infrastructure Issues at the Utilities Telecom Council. Among her various duties is is oversight of the Rural Broadband Council, and in this position, she's been advocating very heavily over the last few years uh, on behalf of rural utilities. And recently, she was alerted to this new FCC program on the horizon and its potential funding for uh, rural trials. So I asked Alyssa to join us to give us a scoop on this uh, project. So, uh, Alyssa, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Craig. Thanks for having me. So let's get right into it. Um, First, though, a little bit about... Um, your organization and what it does, and then we can talk about uh, this new program that's on the horizon. Sure. Well, the organization that I work for is uh, UTC, Utilities Telecom Council. Uh, It's a global trade association that specializes in creating favorable business, regulatory, and uh, technological environments for companies that own, manage, or provide critical uh, telecommunication systems in support of their core business. Uh, The RBC is an independent operating unit of UTC that is uh, dedicated to the cause of promoting opportunities for utilities to bring robust, reliable, and affordable broadband service to rural America. Okay. So definitely then that this FCC program dovetails with the work that, that you're doing. Let's hear about the program. What exactly is coming up? And then we can talk about how uh, organizations can prepare for this. Sure. Well, I, I'll start with saying, um, you know, what, I, what I'm going to discuss, you know, is not an exact. I have not seen the order that's going to be presented to the commission on January 30th. Uh, I just have managed to, you know, be briefed on some of the details of the program. So there's nothing exact about it, I promise you. (laughs) And I have no crystal ball into um, how this is going to play out. But what I do know is that um, on January 30th, an order is going to be presented to the commission. Um, One of the aspects of the order is um, the idea of, of having some type of rural trials. 
So um, the, the first step really, I think, in the process is, is the FCC is going to open this up to, um, to a number of different entities. I don't have an exact description on that. I know that rural utilities um, you know, are being uh, discussed and are planning on taking part, but the idea is the first step of the trial is going to be they put out um, the opportunity for entities to um, uh, submit to the FCC expressions of interest. And so um, the first step, again, is just the expression of interest. I think it's going to be about a five- or six-week process for someone to um, submit this document. And it, it's really just a pretty high-level uh, submission saying who you are, what area you'd like to serve, if you're currently serving, um, what kind of resources you have available to you, what kind of anchor institutions you could provide service to, what the architecture of your system would look like, you know, i.e., is, is this architecture future-proof? Can you get to gigabit service in the very near future? And um, it, it's going to talk a little bit about what this type of project would cost and, and what kind of, you know, financial assistance you would need to make this feasible in those areas that, you know, are less populated because we all know they're expensive. It's expensive right. to provide the service. And, and I'll, I'll walk myself back here a little bit because I just committed my own sin. It's really not more expensive to provide the service to rural America. And, I, and it's a distinction I make all the time with people, and here I just said the wrong words. It, it doesn't cost any more. What is different is the fact that the return on your investment isn't as great. And I think it's an important distinction. Right. And then that's so, obviously a key factor is how do you make that money back. And the pilot, if, if a pilot is done correctly, will provide a lot of valuable information that actually could help organizations, number one, better execute their broadband project, but also help them maybe identify additional uh, sources for investments or loans or any number of uh, financing uh, activity that might happen as a result of what you learned during the pilot, correct? Um, that, that is what that my understanding of it is, and I think, again, this just comes back to, you know, what you mentioned in your opening, that, you know, it kind of takes a village, and this is going to be a public-private partnership, and it's, you know, going to be community-based, and it's, it's going to be meeting the needs of the community, and I think a large part in that is, you know, getting your communities, getting your counties, getting your business leaders, uh, your schools, your other anchor institutions really involved with this and finding creative ways to uh, deploy and finding creative ways to finance and make this, you know, continually feasible without needing subsidies in the future. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things that I have talked to, or to, to folks about and have written about <clears throat> is this idea of um, – having funding dependent on certain planning activities, right? We, we, we did the, the broadband stimulus exercise for a couple of years, but a lot of the uh, proposals that were developed didn't necessarily follow good, call it broadband, uh, best practices in broadband planning. But it was definitely an exercise in how to, you know, submit to and follow the process of a government-issued grant program. Uh, but I think that in this case, if the idea is to create a good pilot proposal, that maybe uh, more of the good best practices for broadband planning 
will actually come into play. I mean, do you think that's possible? You know, I think really anything's possible right now. I, I, I And I say that in all honesty. I mean, really right now it's, you know, think outside of the box. Um, again, use some best practices, but it's it's okay, I think, too, to take some non-traditional paths forward, we'll say. Mm-hmm. And, again, I think really this is is really all going to be about what the expressions of interest say, and I think truly the FCC is looking to all of us in this industry and all of us that really care about these rural areas and the areas that are lacking broadband service to help them find a good way forward. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I really applaud the commission for for kind of taking this first step and asking, you know, really how how do we do this? How do you do this? It's a a good place to be in. Mm -hmm. It says that they're, you know, giving and listening at the same time, and I think that's really vital when you talk about government services. Right. And that would would, uh, have some significant benefits because I think that, again, if I look at the broadband stimulus program, it was a, um, a certain level of, I don't know, out-of-the-box thinking in that uh, it was money for new technology, and we're kind of on the leading edge. So that was kind of, you know, government programs are usually considered to be following the safe and the proven, whereas they were trying to follow, you know, a new technology with, with the stimulus program. But I think one of the shortcomings, and you can tell me, you know, from your perspective dealing with all the various rural utilities is that broadband is new and it's evolving every day and so you have to have your grant programs or you should have your grant programs reflecting this kind of constant evolution yes or no no i i absolutely yes yes i do agree with you um and i think that's one thing where the you know the government probably struggles you know we're we're you know to put it i'll use some naval terms you know i have a navy background when you talk about the government, you're talking about an aircraft carrier. Think about what it takes to turn that ship. And really what we're talking about is an industry that is moving, changing, dynamic. I mean, it's a second-by-second second type industry that I think it's very hard for the government to wrap their mind around it and to be able to, again, turn the ship quickly enough to meet the needs of the industry and the, and the country. So. You know, I applaud them for trying, and, you know, I have my own personal feelings on the stimulus grants, and some of them were good, some of them were bad, and I think it's just part of life. I mean, every time we do something like this, you know, we learn a lesson. So, you know, hats off to the Mm -hmm. folks that won and that are actually out there providing service, and I wish that, you know, my rural utilities had gotten more of an opportunity to partake in it. <laughs> well, you know, that, that makes a lot of sense. And if I were to follow the the, the naval um, example, I was actually in ROTC, so I came close to being in the Navy, but, you know. Eh. Um, anyway, <laughs> close doesn't count, Craig. <laughs> oh, never. If, 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 if the government is the, you know, the aircraft carrier, then, then wouldn't this sort of be like, you know, the, this particular program be kind of like the PT boats? By the way, do we still have PT boats? <laughs> I believe so, and yeah, I would say it's similar, or it's it's like trying to track a, you know, a tomahawk with an aircraft carrier. It just, you know, they don't have the same maneuverability, they don't have the same speed capabilities. It's it's hard, and I think you know our government was set up this way in in sense for a reason, so they aren't you know overly reactionary. Um, but on the other hand, at times like this, it's you know it's definitely a detriment to them, but. 
again, it appears to me that the FCC is really, you know, trying to right the ship and, and move it forward down a good direction. And I'm really excited and uh, enthusiastic about what, you know, what, what I'm hearing and, you know, what we're advocating for. It's, it's a new world. You know, the uh, what was it? Monday we we uh, on the show talked about uh, FCC Chairman Wheeler's uh, Oak Town Hall in uh, Oakland last week, and his heavy emphasis on wanting to listen to what folks uh, are saying in the communities, the folks who actually own the broadband, own the media access issues. Does this program and then the folks that you've talked to about this program, does this seem to reflect? a new era of um, listening and learning more than, say, previous uh, FCC administrations? Well, uh, you know, part of my job is, you know, I I do deal with agencies, so I would never criticize former FCC (laughs) administrations. But I will say that, yeah, I do think that, you know, really the FCC is, is putting their money where their mouth is. You know, he's not, it's not just lip service. I, I get the impression every time I take a rural utility into the FCC, they are genuinely interested in what, you know, uh, X, Y, and Z electric cooperative has to say, what they're doing, what's been successful, what it costs what it takes to maintain the network, what their subscriber levels look like. Are they seeing competition? Um, Is this, you know, causing prices to go down within their service territories? I mean, they are truly interested. And I I think, I don't think you can feign that. I think it's genuine. So I I do think that the new chairman is taking the FCC down a very exciting path. And I think, you know, from my impression of meeting with, you know, some of the staff at the FCC, they're very excited about this opportunity and, and very interested in learning what they can learn and, and helping. And mm-hmm. that, you know, it's kind of funny. You think of the FCC as kind of this big soulless building, and I'll tell you, there are some sharp, sharp people in that building, and they're very exciting and excited about, you know, kind of taking this next step. So I, I do think I'll tip my hat to the new chairman. Mm-hmm. And the key, obviously, is how well they respond based on this listening. I mean, because in some respects, if you look at the life inside the Washington bubble, you know, the lobbyists and the large large companies have greater and more constant access to the halls of power than us folk out here in the in the hinterland, and so. You know, you can go in one day, but you, you always, I guess you'd always have to worry about who's coming in the day after. You know, you, you come up with a creative funding program, and you make the case, and you make the rounds, and then you kind of wonder, well, who's going to come in the door after us and say, well, you, don't, you really don't want to do this. And I assume that gets a little tiring after a while. Uh, yes. You know, I lobbied in a former lifetime um, for a small, small company, and I will tell you there were often, you know, 500 lobbyists for every one of there was of me. And, you know, kind of the interesting thing is I'm sitting back and I'm watching this unravel. I actually think we have the power. I think we have not been exercising the power. And I don't think even when we have started to flex a little bit of our muscle, I don't think we've done it well. And that's really unfortunate because you think about it, they, yes, some of the big companies do have the money and they do have the well-connected, high-powered lobbyists, 
But at the end of the day, it's you and me and the folks in Ottumwa, Iowa. I'm from Iowa, so we'll give them a little nice shout-out here. Thank you, thank <laughs> but, you. you know, thank the you. folks in Minnesota, the folks in rural Michigan, it's the people in rural parts of New York. We vote. And so to an extent, if we work together and we stop with some of the, you know, silliness and the pettiness and the this is mine, this is yours, you know, and we focus, I really think if we laser in and focus on the things that we have in common, we mm-hmm. do have the power. Right is on our side. And I just come back to the, the, you know, I don't know who says this all the time, but it's one of my favorite sayings to repeat. You can have your own opinion. You can't have your own facts. And the facts are on our side and right is on our side. And I continue to, to say that message we have the power. We have the muscle. It's a, man- a matter of harnessing it and, and laser-like focus on the things that we can agree on and really just push to make these good things happen. So, you know, Chairman Wheeler has opened the door, and they're, you know, going to be listening. And now it's up to all of us to make sure that, you know, they continue with this promise and they hear what we have to say. Mm-hmm. Because all it takes is an email. It takes a phone call. It takes small groups organizing. I mean, we didn't start as a, you know, big, polished, organized group. I mean, we started as a group of a few, you know, renegade co-ops sitting down together, you know, having a monthly conference call and passing emails back and forth and sharing information about their broadband networks and what their plans were and how to do this and what equipment really had worked. Or, you know, we had an ice storm, so the plastic piece that we had latched to the, you know, the lines was breaking, and, you know, you might want to think about this if you're in Michigan, mm-hmm. if this is happening in Missouri. And, well, hold on you know, we second. started like this, and now here we've harnessed this power and we're moving forward because electric cooperatives didn't wake up yesterday, Craig, and say, man, I want to provide broadband. Their community leaders and their member owners are demanding it. And so now okay, it's time to harness okay, that power. Wait, wait, wait. wait I get excited. <laughs> we got a call coming in. We got a call coming in. Hold on one second. Sure. Good morning. This is Gigabit Nation. Can I help you? Do we have a caller on the line? Ick. We've lost them, oh. I think. Hopefully they'll Are call. you talking to me? Hello? Am I Do the have... call? Yes. Oh, hi, Craig. This is uh, Trudy Scurry in Montana. Hey, how are you, Trudy? Good. Um, I have a question on... Uh, Basically, how likely do you think it is that non-incumbents would be eligible for this funding? I'm speaking um, or thinking especially in terms of American Indian tribes that may be uh, wanting to uh, develop uh, some aspect of uh, providing um, Internet. Do you want me to answer that, Craig? Yes, please. (laughs) Okay, well, uh, Trudy, what I would say to you is I think it's very likely that non-incumbents are being welcomed to the table. Now, I'm not saying incumbents can't come to the table. I hope they do come to the table. I encourage them to come to the table and to provide broadband service to folks that don't have it. But you know what, I think your question is good, and I think it's valid, and I think you know, if you have some groups or some um, tribes or tribal authorities or Whatever, I think you guys should sit down and talk about what you think you need, what you have, and how you'd like to get it done. And I think you should submit that expression of interest because, again, it's outside of the box and it's communities helping their citizens. So I say go for it. I think you're in a great position to, you know, kind of get in on the ground floor and let your voice be heard. Uh, thank you, Craig and Alyssa. No worries. Can I answer your uh, question? Interesting. 
Yes, that sounds great. Thanks. Sure. Bye. Thank you for calling. Alyssa, you should feel special because I don't get very many calls coming in from comments in the, in, the, in the chat room, but not very many calls coming in. So clearly you are the guest of the hour here. Um, <laughs> let's, let's talk about this uh, expression of interest because there are probably a lot of folks who have not heard that expression uh, or of that particular exercise. So describe how that might work for folks, like as in, well, you tell me. Us. Well, it's my understanding that the order is going to have an open date. Um, again, I'm not exactly entirely certain how long it will be. From what I have, have learned, it's going to be a very quick turnaround. So, um, again, this is not a, a perfect, you know, I wouldn't say this is not a 50-page plan. You know what I'm saying? This is not something that you need to go out and have exact details on. What this is is a high-level, non-binding filing that says, hey, I'm here, I want to do this, I have an interest in this if the conditions are right, these are the, the geographic territory I serve, these are the anchor institutions I could serve, and we have no broadband. And this is what approximately ballpark, again, we think it would cost, and this is ballpark what I think we would need an assistance to take this project forward. And so, you know, it really it's, it's, it can be as much detail as you want. It can be very high level. I think the important thing is, is that people really say, hey, we have an interest, because it's my understanding, based on the, the number of expressions of interest and the level of expressions of interest, that will determine how much money kind of goes forward, if any, into a pilot program for this to start happening. Interesting. So basically, in many respects, this is kind of an open-ended trial balloon that um, greater response equals the likelihood of greater funding for the overall project. And right. if I can explain right. a little more, maybe it's that if, we, if they get a good batch of proposals in the first round to show a broad a depth of need, that and if those uh, pilots turn out to be favorable, the the FCC conceivably can could put more money into this because aren't they working? I mean, if you look at the the Universal Service Fund now dubbed uh, Connect America Fund, that is in the like four billion dollar range, right? As far as dollars involved, and so far I believe it's uh, about. Yeah, I believe it's about $4.5 billion. Now, I'm sure some of that has been allocated for other programs. Again, I don't have an exact figure for you, but I do think we are talking, you know, $1 to $2, maybe $3 billion of funding that is sitting there that is for infrastructure build. Hmm, okay. Uh, and I that, said billion, not million. <laughs> no, I, I got right. That's, it's a big dollar amount we're talking about. So the potential upside of this is is fairly significant. And if you look at the fact that the, you know, the typical pilot project, you know, I'm working on one now in in Atuma, and you know, we're scoping out a. Oh wait, we have another call. Hold on one second. Good morning. This is Viva the Radio. Do we have a um, caller on the line? 
Uh, yes, uh, my name is Jason. I'm from uh, Utah, and I work for a wireless ISP in southeastern Utah. And we actually have had uh, communities that don't necessarily have anchor institutions, but uh, a small population that have expressed interest in us expanding to them. Um, and they have no broadband at the current time. Uh, what do you think the odds are that we would be able to get approved for things like grants, stuff like that, with these new programs? Well, I, I, I will say, Jason, Jason, right? Um, yep. I, you know, I think that's kind of the interesting line here. So. I can't answer that because, unfortunately, the FCC is not going to call me and ask me to come in and tell them who to fund. <laughs> I yeah. wish they would. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> but, um, you know, what I can say to you is you can't win if you don't compete. You can't win if you don't play. So talk about these rural communities and, you know, talk about the fact that you lack anchor institutions and, you know, so there isn't a library for kids to go to to use the Internet. They have to have it at home or they aren't going to get it. Or they're going to have to drive in their car 45 minutes to get to the library, to get to the Internet, because it's not available at home. And that really puts them, I think, educationally, opportunity-wise, really behind, you know, the curve here. So I would just say to you, uh, you know, give as much information as you possibly can and talk about how this is life-changing and, you know, what kind of speeds you can offer and what, you know, type of future speeds you can offer and envision and ask the commission for their guidance. I mean, that's really all I can say to you is you can't win if you don't play. You should play. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for calling in. That brings up an interesting uh, question, or a couple, actually. So, you know, on one end of the spectrum, we have rural communities, and clearly they have uh, need. But at the same time, there are urban areas that have sufficient need. I mean, you have low-income urban areas that have the crappiest infrastructure possible, on par with, uh, you know, the, the dearth of good broadband that's out in rural communities. You know, their proximity to better infrastructure, you know, they're closer, but in reality, you know, a lot of incumbents aren't building into low-income neighborhoods, and so they are in the same boat. Do you get an idea that this, this pilot program would also uh, look at proposals from urban areas? You know, the, the only part of the order that, to be honest, I have really been focused on is the rural because that's really my background and, um, you know, the, the, the utilities that I represent are rural. But I think you bring up a very valid point. And while we're advocating, you know, for rural expansion, I think some of the key words that we talk about are robust, reliable, and affordable. And that's what has to happen whether you are in, you know, downtown New York or whether you are in, you know, uh, Iowa. I, I think that those things are common, robust, reliable, and affordable. And if you don't have those three things, it may as well, you know, it, it's inaccessible. It's not there. So, you know, and this is kind of where I talk about, too, you know, I, again, my focus is really rural, and I have, you know, uh, a lot of electric cooperatives that I work with, and that's, again, my my passion project. I'm from rural America, so it's something that's very near and dear to my heart. Um, but I think that, again, the urban issues, the the rural issues, they're kind of the same, right? 
Mm-hmm. If you can't afford it, it's not available. If it's not there, it's not available. And if it's insufficient, it's really kind of worthless. So, you know, again, we all need to kind of work together to promote this because our, our nation needs it. And, you know, I'm going to throw in here a favorite little quote I have. I'm sure you've seen this. I talk about this quite a bit too, but I think Senator Rockefeller said it really well. It's a necessity. A county without any Internet capacity in modern America is a lost county for the future. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're a nation that succeeds together or fails together, and, and this is needed everywhere. Right. And I, you know, affordable, reliable, and robust. I don't care where you're from or who you are. It's, it's a necessity. I totally agree. I know that there were, you know, leading up to this show, there was a fair amount of traffic that I received and was just kind of looking at that were saying, you know, we need urban folks to be tied into this program. I mean, one of the shortcomings I felt of the stimulus program was that very little money was allocated to urban infrastructure projects. Again, I think it's because of this perception that if you're in the big city and there's like 25 uh, AT&T stores and five Verizon stores every couple of blocks, that there must be great broadband in these areas. And in reality, the opposite is true. But the politics and the media coverage tends to ignore those urban communities. And, you know, for the listeners that are coming in from those, uh, you know, those urban areas that know what I'm talking about, you've got you to participate in the program. Don't let the lack of coverage or the lack of the media directly saying, you know, urban areas can be benefited by this as well, don't let that pre- prevent you from getting engaged, but just jump in there and make your voices heard. I mean, we clearly have had FCC commissioners going to rural communities for open mic, you know, town hall meetings. But if you notice, Chairman Wheeler came to Oakland, and Oakland definitely we ain't rural. <laughs> so, 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 you know, the urban areas need to really jump on this and help, you know, balance the scales. I mean, $4 billion can go a long way, both rural and urban areas. So there, there, there's my two cents on that one. Um, what's, uh, you know, my philosophy about the pilot projects is that as much planning should go into those as goes into the overall broadband project. Do you think, Alyssa, that um, some fair amount of needs assessment should be done uh, to, to go along with whatever proposal people put in with their response to the uh, expression of interest? Well, you know, I, I think what what I envision kind of happening again, and I may be reading the situation wrong, but I think the first step is that is there an interest in participating in something like this? And that's what the expression of interest is. It's just kind of gauging where everyone's at. I think when they start the trials, then you will be submitting detailed plans and competing. I don't think your expression of interest is a, a competition. It's okay. my understanding that this is to gauge interest, and from there then they'll kind of decide how much interest there is, and then a pilot program will be formed, and there will be an application process. And I just can't imagine that they would be funding projects that aren't well thought out and well, you know, as far as engineering and the financial feasibility of it goes. So, you know, I think definitely as you start to compete in that 
process for, you know, a pilot project, if they do so form one, you know, I think you, I think you need to have your ducks in a row. You know, mm-hmm. I used to run a federal grant program, and I will tell you, you know, that's one of the first things you look at is, is this well thought out? Is the support of the community there? Do your financials add up? <laughs> do they mm-hmm. make sense? Are they realistic? Do you have all the equipment you need, you know, accounted for in your engineering plans and then accounted for as well in your financials to cover the cost of that? So I, I would imagine, you know, we've got some smart people in D.C. I know it's not popular to say so, but we do. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think we've got some sharp people that work for the federal government. Again, something that's not popular to say but true. So mm-hmm. I, I think that they're very much thinking – they want this to succeed. The FCC is not going to take a step forward, I don't think anyway, and, and, and wish for failure. They want this to succeed. So I think they're going to be absolutely looking for, you know, the, the most well thought out and, uh, you know, um, efficient as far as resources go, projects they can find because the more efficient we are in our presentation, the more places that can be funded, the more places that can be funded, the more citizens receive broadband. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm going to have faith. Mm-hmm. As well, we should. I mean, I think that um, if if the publicity behind the oh, we have another call. Hold on one second here. Good morning. This is Native Nation. Do we have a caller on the line? Hello. 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 I thought we had a caller on the line. All right, we'll let that one slide. I had one caller to show like months and months ago called the one to know if I did readings, like psychic readings. So you never know who's going to call this <laughs> show. And oh, I did say crystal ball, so I made him. Uh... <laughs> yes, did. All right, looks like we have another caller in line. Good morning. This is Gabe Nation. Do we have a caller here? Hello. Yep, they, they hung up on their own accord. Stay la vie. Well, we are a lively place today, that's for sure. Uh, where was I? I was discussing... Tell me here, Alyssa. What was I talking about last? Jeez. Um, we were talking about how we both believe that the FCC really wants us to succeed and they're going to be looking for efficient, well-thought-out plans. Yes. So if, assuming that the publicity for the uh, EOI, the expression of interest, is high... Would it be safe to guess, you know, based on how many thousands of folks replied to the broadband stimulus, that they could get quite a few um, submissions uh, to to this to this program, right? Because it's not. I, I certainly think so, and I know that you know we're in the process. We kind of have set some target goals. We'd like to see, you know, between 100 and 150 rural electric cooperatives uh, participate in the expressions of interest. You know, we, we talk about it all the time, and I, I think that there are several co-ops out there that really, um, you know, they care about their communities deeply, and, you know, this is what their members want. So I really am encouraging them to, you know, get active and get involved. Mm-hmm. One of the, uh, one of the uh, audience members in the chat room brought up uh, San Leandro, which is in California, and they have been getting a lot of publicity lately. They're a moderate-sized uh, town, city. They're not rural by any means. It's all part of this Bay Area uh, uh, um, communities here. But they have the uh, video showcases showing, you know, distributed manufacturing 
in their area requires stable, fast broadband. I think the point that he's driving at is that, you know, communities that are exploring, you know, all kinds of options uh, that are related to broadband should really look at this um, EOI and say, you know what, we've got, you know, these clearly defined needs. We're already moving forward. So why not spend a few hours to, to put in uh, – uh, an EOI on the table, see what kind of response we get, you know, for the, for the two hours it might take to prep something, you know, it might open up a whole, you know, avenue of funding potential and lead eventually to a grant. Fair assessment, do you think? Uh, you know what? I just come back to my you can't win if you don't play. Yes, and, exactly. and I would say they should. I should. I think they should talk to the FCC. I think they should submit an expression of interest. I mean, I'm sure there are other parts of the order. Again, this has kind of been my laser-like focus, but I believe the Fiber to the Home Council had put out, you know, um, the idea of having, you know, building gigabit cities. That may be an opportunity for them to engage and get involved. And there may be other parts of the order that I am unaware of, um, you know, for them to express. And if not, Express away. You can't win if you don't play. Mm-hmm. I no believe that. Doubt. No, no, no doubt about that. Um, from from what you're seeing in uh, you know the various communities that you deal with, are public utilities the logical I don't know go to organization to drive a community owned broadband project forward? I mean, do you think they'll be the as opposed to, say, local governments themselves. I mean, we have examples in the past, cities like Wilson, North Carolina, uh, Thomasville, Georgia. I'm sorry, Thomasville is not a good example. Um, Wilson is in the sense of the city's IT department owns that network. Do you see public utilities maybe being the more logical go-to organization in the future, or will there be a mix of... uh, local government run as well as um, or equal to public utilities running some of these programs? Well, I I really think it, you know, this is not a one-size-fits-all. So I think really it's up to the communities and or the utilities to work together and, and, and decide who is really best situated to do this. You know, one of the reasons that we've really been advocating hard for, um, you know, rural utilities, rural electric cooperatives, is that, you know, they have the polls, they have the rights away, they're member-owned, so they can, um, you know, take a longer return on investment. They're not looking for quick turnarounds. I imagine city governments are the same way. Um, You know, again, I think this is, you know, either way is great. It's just a matter of them sitting down and working together. Who has the resources? Who has the bandwidth? And, you know, it would be even better if they worked together. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and figured this out in conjunction with each other because, again, I think regardless of who does this, you need buy-in from the community. And so you need buy-in from, you know, utilities because there are smart grid facets of this that, you know, they can utilize the network, so that makes them a good customer if the, you know, the city government or municipality or whatever village owns the network. Um, and the flip side, if the city government doesn't want to do it and the utility does, Again, the city government, this becomes a great tool, a great resource for them, and they become a great customer of the utility. So to me, this is just partnership, working together Mm -hmm. to make your community better. Right. Now, a guest here or an audience member here from Wake Forest uh, poses the question, 
is there um, an official name for this particular um, expression of interest? Will that be determined by the order that gets voted on uh, on the 30th? Like, if you want to follow this and participate in, in it, what's uh, what's the steps? Because I know nomenclature can be a real uh, mind boggler for folks new to the Washington process. You know, I don't know exactly what they're calling it. I think the part that I'm referring to is called the rural trials, but I just know that on the 30th, the you know technology transitions task force. I hope I've gotten their name right. It's quite long. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Will be presenting to the commission in an open meeting. So I would look on the 30th to see what time the meeting is and watch. And hopefully, then the order will be posted. You know, on the FCC's website, and you'll just have to do some digging and, you know. As I come across things, Craig, I can share them with you, and you can share this with you know your followers as well. I would say okay. look to you, uh, to, you know, to get this information because you know you're a great resource for them. So, so this will be what the the public meeting of the FCC commissioners on the thirtieth. Yes. And this committee will basically present a report at that meeting. Then the commissioners will vote on it, and off we go. I'm sure hoping they vote on the 30th. So, you know, we will see what they will do. Okay. <laughs> Again, if they bring me in and ask me what I think they should do, I'd be happy to tell them. <laughs> interesting, interesting. What kinds of um, uh, creative approaches are you seeing rural communities using to, um, uh, you know, to address their their issues you know like we had the caller earlier in the show who talked about you know there are no anchor institutions i mean you have a lot of rural communities where there isn't a logical you know this entity will be you know 40 percent of our revenues and which will then so will sustain the network financially a lot of rural communities are kind of hurting in that department how are they responding to this um you know, lack of resources versus, you know, preponderance of need? Well, I really haven't worked with any groups right now that don't have any anchor institutions. Okay. I think that, in all honesty, you'll probably find some type of institution close to or near you, um, you know, because there's always a school somewhere. I mean, you'd be amazed. I, I graduated with 48 in my class, and we had a school in my town. So, um you know, I, I think, again, it's just a matter of, you know, in small towns like that, you know who the leaders are. You know what I mean? You know your mm -hmm. neighbors. Uh, I would just say the first step would be to get on the phone, call them, call a meeting at your house. I mean, this is really kind of guerrilla grassroots organizing when it comes to this. You know, mm -hmm. start with a few people and, and let the word spread. Sit down and talk about what you think you need for the future and, and who, who you think potential customers would be and what kind of service you think you're going to need in five years. Because I really think one of the keys of this is it's not planning for today. You can't plan for today. You have to plan for tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So I wish I had better words of wisdom. You can probably help them with that more than I can. Okay. I would say call Craig and talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> Have him come in and facilitate for you. That would that would be my best advice. Let's see. Well, thank you for the uh, for the for the plug there. I'm blushing, but um, <laughs> no, just just just, just kidding. Um, let's come back to the pilot project thing. I mean, I want to talk about that a little bit because I'm kind of um, I'm kind of hip on the the pilot project 
because now people are starting to realize they need to have one. I mean, we, we've got, you know, we went through the whole broadband stimulus. Lots of projects got started. Lots of middle mile projects got started. Now you have middle mile cable all over the place and communities are trying to figure out how do we latch on to that uh, and, and, um, and, and deal with this last mile issue. So we're still kind of in the beginning stages, but some folks may not be aware of even what a pilot project is other than they can conceptualize, well, it's a test. Uh, I think the default that techie people, you know, go with is that a pilot project is a process by which you uh, test the technology to make sure the technology is going to work. I think it's safe to say that much of the fiber stuff out there is going to work. I mean, we've kind of, we're past all that, but really what the pilot is, is a way to test maybe the configuration, the combination of technologies, and how well they work together. But to me, equally or maybe more important is you are testing the business that you're about to start. You're testing your ability to, you know, meet deadlines of development, meeting deadlines of, you know, getting people signed on, making sure that you can actually sign them on in some logical fashion, you know, to the network that doesn't create more headaches than, it resolves, you know, it tests your financial assumptions, it tests your marketing assumptions. Are all of those in your mind something that should be part of a good pilot project plan? Yes, I cannot agree with you more. I was sitting here nodding my head as you spoke. I really do think, I mean, that's something that we talk about all the time, you know, we're almost hesitant to call it a pilot, um, but, you know, it is in a sense a, a pilot, but it's, it's not testing the technology. We all know fiber works, like you said. I mean, everybody knows that it's been proven. You know, uh, you can get unbelievable speeds. Uh, it has some future-proofing to it. You know, fiber, 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 love it, love it, love it. You know, it's, it's really a, it is a test of can you manage this? Can you meet the targets? Can you meet the deadlines? Can you respond? Um, you know, you sent out surveys perhaps. People said they'd pay this for this. Are they paying this for this? You know, it's one thing to say, oh, yeah, I'll pay 50 bucks for broadband. Sure, we want it. And then when it comes time to write that check, it may be a completely different <laughs> outcome. So I think, again, it's, it's – Yeah, exactly. So this is testing, you know, your financial model. Are you able to bring it in on cost? Are you able to bring it in on time? Are people – you know, taking your service. I think very much those are, that's what the trial is all about. It's not about mm-hmm. does fiber work. I think everybody knows fiber works. Right. And I would say the same for, you know, wireless. I mean, most wireless technology works. If anything, you might have, you know, you might look at the pilot as a way to determine, you know, are you going to have terrain, foliage, all, you know, various issues mm-hmm. that will affect the wireless transmission so that in that respect, yes, it is a, uh, a technology exercise, but by the same token, it's the business side. And as we're talking about wireless folks, you know, the WISP that are out there, um, I know that, that the wireless ISPs as a group tend to be uh, reticent to look at government funding. You know, they are very proud of the fact that they go forth and do their thing without taking a lot of government money, which is fine and it's applaudable, but I also know that a lot of WISP work on kind of paper-thin margins. And so I think, and I, in fact, I would encourage 
uh, wireless ISPs to give a good look at this because while your criticisms of past programs and the fact that they ignore WIST in favor of incumbents is a valid complaint, I think that given the new administration, given the new FCC people that are in place, given this excitement that Alyssa has talked about that she's seeing from the staff there, this might be the time to jump in and play because uh, to pull out a real old uh, saying, you know, better to light one candle than the curse of the darkness or government bureaucracy. So, you know, I, I think that, that, you know, you folks should get in uh, the program because I think WISP bring a certain level of creativity because of the fact that you often have to do a lot with a little in rural areas, in sparsely populated areas, that you have, you know, maybe not necessarily cornered the market on creativity, but creativity is a part of the job description of being a WISP in my mind. And I think that if these folks in the FCC are looking for creative ideas to, you know, to, to throw some uh, funds toward for pilot programs, uh, you need to go for it. You really, you really do. Um, now, having gotten on to that particular soapbox, let's talk about another sort of mechanical aspect of the, um, uh, the expression of interest. Um, one of the lessons learned from the stimulus program is that communities that banded together to do a proposal often were at least received better. They may or may not have received money, but they at least were received by the granting agencies better because better to have one proposal representing 30 communities than 30 individual community proposals. Should we assume that the same logic should carry in this case that um, a, a group of communities should probably get together and, uh, and, and throw some EOIs, EOIs into the mix as well? Well, you know, I really don't know. To be honest with you, it's a little further in the weeds than I am with this. I'm really, you know, I'm looking at the next step going, how do I round up 150 utilities and, and help them provide the support they need to get their expressions of interest in? Uh, I'm assuming you're talking more about BTOP than BIP, but maybe not when you're talking stimulus. You know, what's so funny about that is, again, having worked for the federal government, uh, in a broadband program and done loans and done grants, I'm sitting here thinking who in their right mind would rather have 30 communities under one uh, <laughs> one program than 30 individual applications because it just they get to a point where they're almost really hard to manage based on size and, and just build-outs and capabilities and, you know, what happens with that, whereas if you have one community and it's focused, for me anyway, it was easier, but I just have no idea, you know, what they're looking for. None. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm, you know, I'm not that far down the weeds, but I think you bring up an interesting point. And it will definitely be my hope, my task, to try to ferret out the, some of the weeds when we kind of get to that, uh, when we get to that point. Hmm. So to, to kind of bring this to um, a close, we've got about 10 minutes, what are some other pieces of advice on the mechanics of, you know, responding? Uh, or, or maybe even give us, a, you know, a, your take on who the average FCC staffer reviewing this is going to be like. You know, you talked about there's a certain energy and an interest in creative ideas. 
can can you give us a little bit more of uh, maybe a read on the people? Because as you write these um, EOIs and you eventually do proposals, it's good to know you know what the typical reader of your document is 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 like. Well, I wish I knew the answer to that. I don't, unfortunately. I don't know who is going to administer this. I don't know who is going to be reading them. I do think that the, you know, the technology transitions policy task force, again, whatever their long name is, I think they'll be pretty heavily involved in, you know, making some of those determinations. Um, what I would say to you is tell your story. And no one knows your community better than you. Nobody knows your community needs better than you or what what is lacking, what could be. Talk about, you know, if businesses are leaving because they can't get access, you know, to true broadband, talk about that. Talk about businesses that you'd like to draw in. Talk about how this would affect, you know, kids that come home from school and how they can do their homework and schools that are able to administer tests on what, you know, teachers recommend instead of based on what their IT administrator recommends based on their limited bandwidth. Talk about what this would do for your, you know, rural health care facilities. Talk about the libraries that, you know, we could have 50 computers going instead of two, you know, taking 30 minutes to download a picture from your grandkids, you know. Really tell your story. I mean, this is your chance to talk about who you are and how this affects your lives. So I, I, my best advice to you would be be honest and be real. Mm-hmm. So basically telling your story of what the pilot means to the community. In other words, put it into a good context, not just a, hi, we've got a really creative pilot and give us some money. Really talk about, you know, we've got this idea and we think it's a great idea and this pilot will help us um, validate the idea in such and such a way and, you know, and kind of go into it. But, but the full context has to be there. It can't be the pilot by itself, because ultimately it's about the broadband project that you're trying to get launched eventually. Sure. I think, I think you have to hit both aspects of it. And again, on the expression of interest, it's just high level. But, you know, take, take the 10, 15, 20 minutes it takes to talk about your community. You're, you're selling the idea that, you know, you, you've thought about this, you've talked to people in your community, you've talked to people you know, in your area, you've, you know, you've, you've done your homework, you've done your research, and you know what you're talking about. Tell mm-hmm. your story. Talk about the details. Talk about what you think you need, what you, you know, think it's going to take and what you'd like to offer. But uh, the, the people at the FCC, they're people, too. <laughs> you know, we forget that, that. But the FCC is people, too. <laughs> right. So, you know, tell your story to them. Speaking of and, and speaking of leaving uh, one's mark on the FCC as part of this process, I, I have to, at this part of the show, have you, Alyssa, tell your story about how you have literally left your mark on the FCC. Please. Tell me. <laughs> this is such a great story. So um, normally when I go into the FCC, we meet with staff or we meet with, uh, you know, Technology Transitions Task Force. Yesterday I, I was very fortunate, and one of the commissioners was nice enough to give us some time, and it was very exciting. We had this great meeting, and one of my rural electric cooperatives was so kind and had given me an umbrella yesterday. It was raining, and it has their co-op's name on it, and I was like, oh, I'm so excited. This is so neat, and I'd left one meeting, and I had dropped the umbrella, and it came apart, and so I was frantically stuffing you know, it back together, trying to get it to work so no one would know I had broken this wonderful gift. 
And I got up to leave my last meeting of the day with the commissioner and his staff member, and uh, the umbrella fell out of my purse. And between the force of it falling to the table and the button ejecting the top of the umbrella off, it slammed down on the table and made a huge noise, and then it shot up to the ceiling. <laughs> Oh my so the God. ceiling of the office I was in, I swear to God, it leaves a dent in the ceiling. There are little particles falling from the ceiling as the commissioner and his staff turn and look at me like I, you know, shot someone because that's really what it sounded like was a gunshot. So, <laughs> and so, so, I, so I have to tell you the rest. So I throw my hands up and I said, I'm so sorry. You know, I'm embarrassed. My face is red. The guys around me are howling. And I say to him, I said, I promise, I promise, you know, it's friendly fire. We're leaving with a bang. (laughs) (laughs) And so if you get to the FCC and you're not allowed to bring your umbrella in, you can send your hate mail to me. (laughs) 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 Because weapons, you know, umbrellas are apparently weapons too. Oh, good Lord. Only you, only you. Well, Well, that's what my boss said as he shook his head at me. He said, you know, Alyssa, in the 17 years I've been having meetings at the FCC, I've never seen anything like this. (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah, only... you never see something like it again. I know. Well, there you go. (laughs) There you go. So, um, last parting thought, on on that note, um, never be afraid to use humor. You might not want to talk about Alyssa's experience at the FCC and your EIE. E-I-E-I-O. Um, but, you know, humor is a good thing, especially, you know, I looked over a whole bunch of uh, broadband, uh, broadband stimulus submissions, and quite a few of those could use a good dose of humor because, Lord knows, that stuff gets dry and boring as all get out. So if you tell a good story, try to add a little humor to spice up the story a little bit and, um, you know, and, and get the job done. But most, most importantly, and on a serious note, I mean, I think this is an opportunity we're not fully sure of what all the final details will be. We're not sure who's going to get funded and all the rest of it. But it is a, um, it is a process that you need to engage in because I'm getting all these vibes from, you know, the, the chairman on down that this FCC is trying to be responsive to the needs of the, the, the communities, the public, you know, those folks that, public regulatory agencies are supposed to stand up for. And so if they're making that effort and they're pushing out to say, you know, tell us what we can do, um, you know, don't sit there and moan and complain about the state of broadband. I mean, you can if you want because it sucks in a lot of places. But, but you've got to get past that to take some action. And, you know, this, this order, this, this um, meeting on the 30th, I mean, there's a lot you're going to have to take initiative and track down and find out about and I do my in to try to help, you know, get the word out. But you gotta, you gotta get on it. You gotta get on it, and you gotta play to win. So with that, Alyssa, I'm gonna say a fond farewell. And this has been a lot of fun and extremely informative. And you got a bunch of calls in that we've never had this many calls in one show before. I'm, I'm very impressed. So thank you for being on the show and bringing all this great information. No, I, I really need to thank you. Thanks for having me, Craig. Thanks for doing the show. You know I'm a, a listener, so I appreciate it greatly. And, you know, keep doing your good work. You're, you're changing lives and you're mobilizing people. And 
you make a difference. So thanks so much from the bottom of my heart. You know I mean that. It's been a lot of fun. Okay. I appreciate that. All right, folks, and thank you for listening in again. Uh, we have some good shows on the horizon coming up in the next few weeks. Uh, tell all your friends, Gigabit Nation, that's the place to be, Gigabit Nation. Uh, we'll talk again soon. Have a great day. Thank you for listening in.